Well, it's sure good to be with you. I've been uh, sitting on the platform here looking at your faces and thinking back when I might have been your age. I know you think I never was there, right? Ancient of days has arrived. (laughs) So um, you have so much potential. I wish I could get inside everyone's mind and think with you a little bit about what you're going to do with your life. If I had a thousand lives to give, I'd give it just like I have. Uh, to my country and to our Lord, and I have a great number of friendships in Christ, and I I feel like I may have said it yesterday, the richest man in the world when it comes to friendships. I want to challenge you while you're here to make lifetime friendships, and of course every now and then you'll hear someone say in a church or maybe even in a Bible college, I didn't have any friends. I would never make that statement because you're saying more about yourself than you are about anybody else, because he that would have friends must show himself friendly and You know, our obligation and our great opportunity is to be a friend. It's more wonderful even to be a friend than it is to have one. But I think when you're trying to be one, you'll probably uh, probably never be without a friend. I mentioned to our missionary, I passed through Peru in 1963. Of course, I was riding a submarine back then. I was on a a mission. It was just maybe a little bit different. Did you all know there's only two kinds of ships? Oh, this is horrible. I didn't expect the girls. There's submarines and targets. That's it. There's no other kind. (laughs) And that's one reason I decided uh, to be there. Well, let me invite you in your Bibles over to uh, Luke chapter 18. And we'll read verses 1 through 8. Although we'll deal primarily with just verse 1, I... I'll get into homiletics much, but I mentioned already the difference in, you know, an inductive message and deductive, and this is deductive right up front. The great truth is right in verse 1, and then it is illustrated in the others, so maybe it may be like a topical exposition rather than just a straight expositional message. Luke 18, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. He's pretty tough. And not smart, so I won't use the word dumb with him, but anyway. But there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, um, but um, afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, that because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now men, uh, you don't have a wife yet, you don't know, but if they really want to get something done, they are relentless. And they'll keep reminding you and I finally solved that with my wife. I just said, honey, put post-its on a refrigerator. And when they got so full, I couldn't hardly see what was in there. Then I tried to get that job done. But they're very persistent. And I'm glad because my wife's persistent in a good way. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, 
when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And Father, thank you for the privilege I have to be with these young people and just to be here at this church and school. And Lord, I don't always know that I have something worthwhile to say. And all that any man or woman really knows is their own personal experience in serving you, reading your word, and trying to grow in it. So if I could in any way be a help to even one person here with my own personal experiences, then that is what I'd like to do. Our country is in great need of godly young men and godly young women. And we need far more than we have. And, and Lord, even as I have the privilege to be in some other Bible colleges, we, we still don't have enough. I just hope that each young man and young woman sitting here would realize how much they are needed. And if they could really zero in on what you want them to do and make up their mind, I will not turn back. I will finish my course like the Apostle Paul said. And if that could happen, the day will come when they look back and they may say, I didn't maybe do everything right, but most of it was right and I did the best I could and the Lord has honored and blessed it. That's the reason we have churches like this one that can house a school as well because someone stayed by the stuff. I ask all this in the most gracious name, amen. Praying or fainting. I have sometimes asked, I've used this a few times, how many of you have fainted? And I'm not going to ask because the guys are usually not real honest about it. Now, the girls are not too concerned about it, but it's not real macho for a guy to faint. So sometimes I've watched the hand. It looked like maybe it was going up and maybe it didn't really make it all the way up. But prayer and fainting. And of course, this is a parable. I understand a parable, we would say, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a physical story with a spiritual meaning. Um, the Lord loved to use parables. I love parables. I mean, it really helps you to grip the idea. You really have your hands on it. In fact, sometimes I think maybe all of life is a little bit like a parable or maybe is a parable. I guess we could say God wrote two books or maybe if that bothers you to use that term, two revelations because we have general revelations which we know is a creation. And the Bible itself says the heavens declare the glory of God. So in that respect, some people might refer to that as a book. At least what it does teach us about God is that He is big and He is good. I mean, I love it when I'm out around the mountains. Oh, by the way, since I'm from Oklahoma, the plains of Oklahoma, I was going to bring you greetings, and I forgot to say that, where you can look out your kitchen window and watch your dog run away for two days. <laughs> There's no mountains around that place. When I go over to Colorado, which is my favorite state to visit. I've just taken back. I mentioned the hike in the Grand Canyon and, and things like that. God's creation is just amazing. And there's not a person or no missionary will ever go to a place where they don't know there's a God because the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and they see the same thing we've seen and the same thing that David saw when he wrote the Psalms. But they don't know... Who, who he is and what they're supposed to do and how to make that connection. Isn't it something to think that people maybe in their heart know there is somebody they need to know about, but they don't know. And they live in darkness till someone comes. And then we have our second book or the Revelations. When you read that 19th Psalm, you know, heaven declared the glory of God, you get halfway through. And you know, but the law of the Lord converts the soul. And so it's really good to put them together.
But we have a parable here about praying and not fainting. And it seems that the Bible is saying we probably have those options. And I think there's a warning here about people fainting. So um, I had to confess I did one time. So I think when I was probably about 16, I'd been saved two years. I was in a small Baptist church. I did not grow up in a Baptist church. If you had that benefit, uh, then you're blessed. Had a friend named George Morrison, another guy named Donnie Hubbard. Judge Morrison, was a, he's a lot bigger than me. I'm not a big person. I'm a small person, and I'm bigger now than I've ever been, but not any taller. It's just kind of going the other way, you know, and whatever the case. Everything I eat goes straight to one spot now, and I'm, I'm sad about that. So his mother was going to have surgery, and the uh, information was out that she needed some type A blood, which sometimes people would go give. Maybe they still do that, you know, to help others out. And so we decided we're going to go down and help out uh, George's mom. I think you're supposed to be 18. I was about 16. I probably weighed about 105 pounds maybe. I don't know. Uh, when I got in the shower, almost sometimes, if I didn't have big feet, I'd have to stick my arms out, probably keep them going through the drain. I was really a skinny kid. And so we go to this hospital, and they're not like the, they weren't back then like they are now. I mean, it was like a dungeon. We're, we're talking about now, what, like in 1960, 1959, and we're going down this small hallway. It is dark, big old water pipes and steam pipes are running that, you know, it's not very well lighted, and we finally, there's little rooms along the way, finally came to one and had a sign on the door about it, and um, there was a lady in there, and so it's just a real small room with a little cot and a chair and so forth, a pretty Spartan, and I thought, what well, is your mama. So you need to go first. And so George went in. Well, the door was cocked open just a little. We couldn't see a whole lot about what was going on. But when she stuck him, I heard him go, oh, you know. <laughs> and some people say, oh, I have rolling veins or this or that. I don't know there really is such a thing as that. But it happened about the third time, and he said, I can't take any more. And he weighed probably nearly twice what I weighed. And uh, he came out. And <laughs> she looked at me, and she said, you're next. <laughs> uh, so I went in and um, just kind of sat down in this little cot, and she said, oh, you, you just might, I'm going to stick you first if I can get you. And, of course, I don't have big veins, but they run right on top of the skin like the Alaskan pipeline. You know what I mean? It's right there. <laughs> and she nailed it. And so she said, why don't you just lie back? And I said, okay. And she squeezed her hand a little bit, and, boy, that blood started pumping. And the stick really wasn't all that bad. And immediately as the blood began to flow, I thought, that big sissy, wait till I get out of here and get my hands on him. And so it wasn't long and a little bag was full. And uh, she said, well, you can sit up. And I said, okay. And I sat there for a moment and just couldn't wait. She said, well, you're free to go. So I got up and headed towards the door. The whole world just disappeared, you know, just <laughs> gone. And uh, when I woke up, someone had my head down between my legs. I realized in a little while when I got some sense, I was sitting in a chair and she was pushing my head down so some blood could get to my brain. And I was kind of wrestling there, you know. I thought maybe like boys get into it with another boy, you know. And she said, just be still and you'll be all right in a minute. And so I said, okay. And then sure enough, I got to feeling good. And she said, well, you're still free to go. And I said, no, I said wait till I get out there and get my hands on George. I headed for the door and Guess what? <laughs> but I was an experienced man, and I knew exactly what happened. So when I woke up, I didn't fight and fuss or anything like that. And so 
I sat there for a moment, and she gave me a little carton of orange juice. She said, son, <laughs> drink this orange juice, and if you don't make it to the door, I'm going to give your blood back. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I got outside, I talked to George about it, and I'm telling you, he's still living, and to this day, every time I see him, I bring that up. These are just occasions I'm thinking about, and the Bible's talking about, you know, that we are to pray and not to faint, is to remind you that it, it really can happen. And when you are faint, you don't have any idea what's, what's going on. And I got one more, I just have to, because I promised I wouldn't do this, but I am going to do it. Well, I didn't promise I wouldn't, I'll just tell you about it. So I used to fly small planes a lot, and it was really handy to go to fellowship meetings, especially states that touched Oklahoma and I enjoyed doing that. You know, no speed limits up there, no traffic lights. Does that sound good, you know? No highway patrolmen, none of those people, you know? And I loved doing that. But there was a young man in the church named Chris Nichols. And um, he was always after me, Pastor, when are you going to take me flying? I said, Chris, I don't own an airplane. I have to rent one. He said, well, I got a buddy who wants to go. What if we raise the money? Will you take us flying? I said, well, I will. And so it wasn't that much back then. I don't know, $25, $30. And so they raised it, and we set a day to go, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was going to be about 2 or 3 o'clock. Beautiful day. Temperature is just right, so we go out to the little airport behind our church, only about a half mile behind our church, check the plane out. I didn't understand why, but Chris got in the back seat. If I was paying for an airplane ride, I'm going to be in the front seat. And his buddy got in the front seat, and, man, we took off. It was just a beautiful day. His friend was loving it. I had to slap his hand. You know, he wants to touch everything. And uh, I looked back at him, and he hadn't said one word. And we're up there for a little while, and he started looking clammy. I said, Chris, are you getting sick? He said, oh, no, Pastor, I'm fine. <laughs> I said, if you're getting sick, there's airports, little airports all over this place. I can be on the ground and parked in about seven minutes. Oh, Pastor, I'm doing all right. I said, okay, and I went a little bit far, and this, we're just making a few turns, nothing, I didn't try to hurt him any, you know, I didn't do any major maneuvers, I looked around and his sweat had popped out on him. <laughs> I said, Chris, I'm telling you, that's the second time now, if you are getting sick, you better tell me and tell me now. He says, no, pastor, and I no sooner turned around, and what we call in the Navy, he called Ralph. You know about Ra Ra Ralph? You're not getting it. And I mean, it went all over that airplane. Chicken and rice. <laughs> There's enough chicken and rice to make a whole case of Campbell's soup. I got that plane on the ground and got it. Undid it stinking there, man. It was horrible. And he fell out on the ground. He just couldn't hardly stand up. I said, I don't care how bad you feel, you get in there and get a bucket and you get to work and clean up this airplane. <laughs> and he said, oh, pastor, please don't tell any of the other guys that it happened. I said, it's going to be like Mary of Bethany. As long as the gospel is preached and I preach it, people are going to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. Now make sure just to, uh, to pass it on. But I really do want to encourage you to think about whatever God called you to do. I, I don't know what that might be. But in America right now, we have a great epidemic in the sense that the baby boomer generation was huge. It was a huge generation. 
Now, I'm always thinking about baby boomers being young because I'm older than they are, but they're not. They're about 65 to 70 years old, give or take a few years, and a large number of those were pastors, and they're stepping out of their churches now. And I hate to say that many of them stayed too long. And they have um, ridden their churches down to there's not much there. But I mean all over America right now, and I say all over, I mean more places and I know where to find the young men to fill it. There's a building with an older pastor. There's an X number of people there and they're mostly older as well. But there's a building, there's dirt. I mean, you know, it's, it at least got something to start with. And you'll probably have those older people will stay with you for, you know, however long they might still have left, maybe a couple, three years, five years, just depending. You know, I can't give you a time on that. But we've got to have young men that will go in there and hit the ground running and get the job done. Or we will lose churches, all, and we already have lost some. We're going to lose them all over this country. They're just going to be boarded up and closed and what kind of testimony. And even if you don't like the building and you don't like the location, go in there and take it and build it back up and then sell it and move someplace else and find a good place in town where you can build a church. The need is just so great. And I have friends my age now that after they have stepped out of their churches and done a good job with it and have someone in it, and I've been out of my church 16 years and the church has grown by a couple hundred more people since I've been gone. It's just doing good. But I know some guys my age that are trying to restart these, and they don't have enough energy anymore because I don't, I don't have any of what you have. <laughs> I look at you, and I think the energy level of all the people in this room is just unbelievable. I almost, my wife's sitting back there. You said, ask her. I almost cried when I had to go to bed at night. Let's get up and get something done. I had a pretty good-sized house in Oklahoma just a little ways out of Tulsa, and I bought it from a guy that he couldn't have built that house more like the way I wanted. It had a 24 by 32 foot shop built into the house when the house was built. Heated and cooled. And, and I, I like tools and grease and cars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I could kind of flee to that every now and then. You know, go to a fellowship meeting with all the hairspray and cologne and all that stuff mixed together. And I'd go back to my shop and go, man, it sure does smell good out here, you know. It's kind of my place to get away. I'm just challenging you, not only is the need over there, but think about what our missionary program would be like if we don't hang on to America. Think back historically, just past World War II. What would the world look like right now without America? I'm not trying to suggest you should not. I'm just suggesting everybody here needs to do something. And you need to start it, and you need to finish it. Now, just a few thoughts here, and these are primarily just taken out of the dictionary. Just not, you know, dictionary is an amazing thing. I had a good library, and uh, Dewey Decimal, I know that's an older way to do it, but I could always find mine, and I can find it quicker than you can with a computer. My son said, I can't do it, and I said, okay, turn it off. We're going to walk in the door at the same time. I'm going to pull my book off the shelf for you, and he said, well, Dad, it's got to boot up. I said, that's what I'm talking about. While you're booting up, I'll be reading right into my book and, and I enjoyed all of that as well so then sometimes the dictionary just helps it seemed like on this particular one I had to pull out some of these thoughts here so first of all I want to say to you that everyone is susceptible to fainting now we're talking about spiritual fainting primarily 
but now since it's a parable, para, you know, the word parallel, we get it from para in the original, balo, which we get, you know, from the Greek that means to throw. Parable's one thing thrown alongside another thing in order to assist. It makes me think about train tracks and it's just parables are just like I say, they're wonderful, but everyone is susceptible. And even in the Navy, when I went to boot camp, sometimes we'd be standing at attention because I was in during the Vietnam era. I went and joined the Navy in 1961, and we're out in San Diego, California, and it would get hot. But we had so many people there that we didn't hardly have room for them. The first night, I just slept in a hallway in the barracks. There wasn't even a, a bunk or anything like that. And we'd sit out in the sun waiting to get in the chow line, sometimes for over an hour. I can remember at least two men just stood there as long as they possibly could, possibly could and, and finally just passed out and, and just went down. But I would say so many people start out and they quit right before things are about to happen and things are going to be good. The Lord will take you in your life through experiences that will prepare you for your next step but kind of like an education, you got to finish that grade before you can go to the next, before you can go to the next, before you go to the next. I don't know that everybody should have been in the military. I needed it because I didn't have a lot of discipline in my life because I never really had to stand on my own two feet. And so I remember when I enlisted in the Navy and because of Vietnam and a lot of people were dying, we lost almost 60,000 people in that war, most unpopular war that America's ever had, first war that America really ever lost. And when I was there, they said, uh, you had to see a psychiatrist because so many were dying. He said, are you afraid of dying? I'm thinking, what does a 17-year-old boy know about dying, you know? I said, no, not that I'm aware of. And I said, but I've not faced it. He said, is there anything that you are afraid of? And I said, I, I am. I said, I'm afraid of getting all mangled up and coming home and someone having to take care of me the rest of my life. I said, I'm fearful of that. And that's when he said, have you ever thought about submarines? And I said, no, I really haven't. I don't know hardly anything about them. I know what they do a little bit. He said, here's the thing about submarines. When you get on a submarine and you go out, you'll come back just like you left, son, or you won't come back. And that really is true. I thought, you know, that fits me better. I mean, this is all head full or all back full. None of this stuff in the middle. It's kind of like serving the Lord. I'm okay with green lights, which means go for it. I'm okay with red lights when the Lord said, Son, I don't want you to do that, but I hate yellow because I don't really know for sure what the Lord wants me to do. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I finished boot camp and headed off to submarine school in New London, Connecticut. And just that itself began to uh, challenge me because there's several things you have to do, like a big uh, tank. And it's like a, the guys would know more about it. It's an air compressor tank. You see the service station, you know, they're round. But you, a lot of times the service station, they're elongated, or they might be about this big around, stand about this tall, and a compressor on the top, and it pumps air into it so they can air your tires up and so forth. This one was round, but it was probably about this tall and probably about to five foot wide on the inside, and maybe... Uh, 10 or 12 foot long and had some portals on the side with real thick glass and they would put about six of us in there at one time and start pumping in air. And do the equivalent of taking you down a couple of hundred feet like if you were diving or something like that and you had to, you've been on an airplane where your ears begin to bother you a little bit like that and hey, that's nothing. 
compared to what I'm talking about. But you had to be able to equalize your inner ear with your outer ear as the thing was going down because if it didn't, then you're going to burst your eardrums. And your hearing's going to be pretty bad if you have any at all the rest of your lives. So on the way down, three times we had to stop, you know, to let guys out that he couldn't do it. And so the rest of us, you know, just four times we actually went through that. Was I scared of that? I was. And it's real easy. All you got to do is just say, I don't want any more of this, and then you're done. And you get through that, and you think, well, maybe I'll be able to go on a submarine. But no, um, then you've got a tower full of water. You know what a grain, does everybody know what a grain silo is? We're okay with that? Probably, you know, um, eight to ten floors high, whatever the case, about ten floors high. And about the same, you know, probably as wide as from here to the wall. And so, but down at the bottom, if you could just picture this, there's another little capsule, just a little metal capsule that's attached to this I'll call it a grain silo or just a, when I say water tower, you're thinking about something in a city, but I'm talking about a grain silo that goes all the way up and they, they put you in there and close that big hatch and then there's a metal one that goes from this little one that you're in by yourself into that and, and so they start filling this thing up with water and it's small and uh, it's, the water's about right here and you're thinking if they don't turn that thing off, I'm going to drown right here. And they did turn it off, and the green light came on, and two divers out there opened the door, and then I went out. And without any kind of breathing apparatus or whatever, you ascend 100 foot, and you have to blow bubbles out all the way, and here's the thing. While you're blowing bubbles out, everything in your being says, you're suffocating, hold your air. You're suffocating, hold your air. You're suffocating, don't blow your air out. Except that down here, your lungs are the normal size because you have all that compressed air now in your lungs. And when you go up, it expands. And when you get to the surface, it'd be as big as a basketball and you'd be dead. And they go up with you. And I'm thinking all this time, I don't have to do this because nobody has to go on a submarine. You can get off any time you want. Now, but look back on that. I need to be able to control myself, my thinking, and things that I don't fit, that I don't like, that I'm, that I'm fearful of. So when we're talking about feigning here, physically speaking, is to pass out. When we're thinking about it spiritually in other ways maybe, is to be whether we're going to continue doing what we're doing. But everyone is susceptible. Now, how about some characteristics of feigning that we might kind of look at as far as being in the ministry or something? Um, well, one of the characteristics of fainting is just to become spiritless. A person who's becoming faint is not energetic. They're not really ready to do something and, and get something accomplished. And so I watch sometimes when young people will go to the ministry, and now they, uh, you know, they're the pastor. They've got their office. They can go in there and sit on a desk. You can put your feet up on that desk if you want to, but... I'm just saying, if you take one of those churches or where there's a brand new church, you're going to have to get in there and you're going to have to work and work and work and you're going to have to have creativity. You're going to have to have stamina. It's going to take everything you've got. And it was a lot like that at Eastland Baptist Church. Church I took um, back in 1973. Had between 50 and 60 people. The church was in good moral shape, good doctrinal shape, but financially... Uh, our offerings were $262 a week, and our if I, bond fund, that would be like your land payment, $500 a week. $262, $500 a week. And that included salary or anything like that. 
and you, you just kind of got to hit the ground running. And I'm thinking of every way I can. My little wife jumped out and got a job because she's the one who put food on the table for nearly two years. I'd never made over $70 a week during that time. Uh, and you know, it'd been real easy. Everybody would understand if I had just walked away from that. But you know, when you commit yourself to something and you feel like the Lord's really in it, you just got to stay there. So I, I knew that I couldn't be spiritless and I really had to have ideas and so forth to use. And sure enough, we didn't have any money, but they had a little printing press down at the little church, a real small one, an A.B. Dick 326, I believe. And I thought, I've got to get the word out about this church. And so I learned how to run that thing. We could make tracks back then. And when you're going all the way back to the 70s, it didn't have to be color like they are now. Most of them were just a black and white or some other color. I learned how to run it. I could buy a ream of paper. I could make a tra- two tracks for a penny, actually, back then. And then I started a track team. And the young people on Saturday, um, the people would bring their kids down to the church. I had a few high schoolers that helped me and the other ones, smaller ones. And uh, we'd go up for about two hours, and we'd have kids on one side of the road and kids on the other side of the road. They couldn't go in the house. They'd look for each other. But over and over again, we would do that every Saturday, and I'd take them for a hamburger and something to drink because I couldn't afford anybody to help or whatever. You know, to this day at Eastland Baptist Church, I pastored it 30 years. It's been 16 years since I stepped out. 46 years later, they're still doing track team because it was so effective. Every time people filled out a card while they came, it's always... At least one out of three would always be the track team in the way they did that. So some ideas that, uh, that you can use. Not only that, you know, it's spiritless, but it kind of means to become weak. And that gives you the idea of feigning. It really means not to finish what you start. Well, I got through submarine school. You say, why are you using that first? Because this is one of the first lessons in my life that really pinned me against the wall and said, you're going to make it or break it, son. I make it through submarine school. My wife and I got married between boot camp and submarine school. She's with me in New London, Connecticut. I report to Charleston, South Carolina, and the USS Senate, SS-408, out by the pier. And I walked down and, you know, asked permission to come aboard, had my orders in my hand, saluted old glory on the way, gave my orders to the topside watch. He opened them up. He read them, got the logbook out. Filled it all in. He says, where are you from, Hardy? I said, I'm from Texas. He said, put her there, man. I'm from Texas, too. I thought, well, this is good. He said, hey, I'll be off watching about 20 minutes. I'm going to take you over to the beach and buy you a drink. Well, a sailor doesn't mean pop. I said, Lord, now I can't get in your mind what it's like to be on a submarine, except maybe if we put plywood over all the windows and the doors and everybody stays here for 60 days without leaving this room. And you, there might be some fights break out around here. <laughs> because it's, it's, in other words, you've got to get along. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't need this the first day. I mean, when you tell the Lord what you need, you don't need, you know, the Lord knows. And I made every excuse about I couldn't. My wife was waiting, and she was, you know, I didn't lie to him about it. He said, no, sir, you're from Texas, I'm from Texas, and we're going over on the beach and have a drink, and that's that. I said, okay, Lord. I did the best I could. I said, you know, uh, his name was Sammy Jack Pendleton. I still remember him. I said, I'm a Christian, and I can't go to the beach and drink with you or anybody else. I remember his words verbatim. I don't like you. 
you don't have time here today to know about what it's like when the word starts getting around about, hey, we've got the Holy Joe coming on the boat and the things you face and so forth. Nor do I have time to tell you about, but I'll just say quickly that time went on on that subject. As a matter of fact, one of the worst things about it, when I got on there, I found that I worked for him. All of these things were not good. And remember, anybody wants off a submarine, all he's got to do is say, I want off. It's totally voluntary. And I wanted to do that. The Lord says, nope, you need to finish. You know what I learned? How to stand alone. But after a period of time, when they find out you're real, they begin to respect you. I was making a little progress in rank, and I remember we were going around South America on a four-month cruise when I made E4, and Sammy Jack was an E5, and while we're over there, he went over and got drunk and came back late, and he got busted. And I put him back to an E4. What I didn't understand was that I actually had seniority on him because I made E4. It's not like he come down to E4, it's like he went up to it, and it was a great day when the Lord said, you're in charge now, son. I just smiled, and I didn't do anything bad, but the Lord proved himself. We, we become weak and not finish what we start. Uh, I think another thing is number three, when we become faint, we lose distinctness. A person who is faint does not, you know, they don't move around correct or right. It's very difficult to do that. And not only that, uh, they don't see other people exactly accurately and they can't do things accurately themselves. I think one of the greatest detriments in our testimony in the Christian life is when the Christian begins to lose his distinctness. And uh, we're no longer really a clear image of the Lord as best we can be. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to have fun. But when it comes to holiness, that's not just one of God's attributes. That's his essence. And that's not to be messed with. And when we do begin to mess with it, then people are going to look at us, but I don't think they're ever going to be challenged when that happens in our lives. But let me just mention some reasons to you that you can't afford to faint. First of all, the Lord's depending on us. I know you've heard that old story, the angels get back to heaven, you know, and they're talking to the Lord, and did you finish everything that the Father gave you to do? Yes, you went to the cross, yes, I paid the price all there. And has everybody made a decision? And of course, he has to say no. And, and I know you've heard this before. Bears repeating, I guess. Well, if it's not done, what's going to happen now? He said, well, I left 12 men in charge of that. Well, what if they don't get it done? I, I have no other plan. Now, God is depending on you and me by the, what he sends us to do. And again, I don't have time. So I stayed on that submarine, and guess what? I wasn't on it very long, and the captain said, uh, been watching you, Hardy, and uh, I want you to hold services on this submarine while we're at sea. And I did. Um, and you know, two preachers came out of that. One of them's name was Freddie England, went to Great Falls, Montana, started a church. And some have been saved, and we still have a reunion every two years, and some of them are still being saved. I look back on it and say, Lord, it was worth it. Everything's so very much. And I think I've mentioned that already too. That's been such a wonderful thing. But God's depending on us to continue to serve Him. And then not only God is depending on us, but other people are depending on us. And maybe the thing that might get our attention a lot or the most is what will happen to you. And one last illustration. 
in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I was pastoring, I read in the newspaper one morning, a lady was getting on Interstate 44, and you know how you come up on the ramp and you get up to speed, and she was coming on, and there was a man who just passed that entrance ramp in a pickup truck, but he was a, a truck driver by trade, and just as he passed that ramp, she came in right behind him, and they looked in their rear view mirrors a lot, and they noticed that she slumped over the steering wheel, and he quickly just tapped his brakes a little, and her car came right up behind it and just touched his bumper, and when it did, he really put his brakes on and held that car there. Well, the, she never gained consciousness. The EMSA came and picked her up and took her to the hospital and everything. She had just passed out, and she woke up in the hospital. I'm thinking, what if that truck hadn't been there, and she's coming on at an angle and had gone into the head-on traffic while she was passed out and while she was faint, and she's in the hospital. Now, she was fine because of that man, but maybe legs or arms broken, maybe an arm missing, no telling what maybe. She'd probably say, my God, what happened to me? Because when you're faint, you don't know. And everybody here knows some family, a Christian family, where things have come apart because somebody in that family was faint spiritually. And by the time they saw it, it was too late. Now, we ought always to pray and not to faint. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray your blessings on these men and these women. In Jesus' name, amen.